Hi, I'm Debbie George Addis. Welcome to my show, America Can We Talk. Today, we're going to talk about Texting Tuesday and our events calendar. Anthony Sabatini, congressional candidate from Florida, joins us. I'm calling him part of the Patriot Army series. Karen's gone crazy uh, and Senator Johnson's second opinion panel. And of course, I'll tell you why these stories matter to you. Stay tuned. On America Can We Talk, I talk about election integrity, border security, healthcare freedom, race relations, energy and tax policy, education policy, free speech and assembly, freedom of religion, and all other issues that touch on the God-given right of every American to life, liberty, and the pursuit of their version of happiness. Stay tuned. Hello and welcome again to America Can We Talk and to today's First Five. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Usually in the first five, I try to jam in a really important story and I run through the top points and often it goes longer than five minutes as you've likely noticed. But today what I want to do is talk about some upcoming events and also something we're going to add regularly to the America Can We Talk show. Many of you signed on when I spoke at several recent summits, several of you signed on to our texting app. And so first I want to just tell you that what we're trying to do is have a way to communicate back and forth between this show, between you and me, my listeners, and this show. And so we have, uh, and you know, the thing that you always you often hear a candidate say, hey, text, you know, so-and-so to some number. Well, I want to urge you to text to join our texting family here at America Can We Talk. So I sent Mr. Becker, the wonderful producer, sent him something, and this is a very simple way you can do it. I want to show you all you need to do Join the America Can We Talk texting family. Joining the texting group by, send a te by sending a text. In the two line of your text, enter 53445. 53445. And in the body of the text, type the word America. I am reading this for our radio listeners because you can't see this. Our online listeners can see what I'm talking about. For our radio listeners, simply text to 53445. Text the word America. No punctuation. No other words. You'll get right back our welcome to the America Can We Talk family reply message. And what we're gonna do with that going forward, starting next week, we're gonna have Texting Tuesday polls. At the start of the show on Tuesday, I'll ask you a question. You can text in your answer. At the end of the show, we'll tell you uh, what you thought about the question of the day. So that starts next Tuesday. Join our texting family. The other thing I'll be doing with this text messaging is announcing when we have upcoming events. Uh, last year, we sponsored a an unbelievably wonderful summit here in Dallas in the fall. Uh, many of our listeners came to the summit. We have another one we're getting started planning right now for this year. It's October 15th here again at the Dallas Hilton Lincoln Center. Um, and we have a mini summit coming up in this spring, a single issue summit. So you may receive text messages about that. The other thing I want to do in this first five today uh, was to share with you an event that's happening in Texas. And uh, for our listeners around the country, um, I want to tell you that many of you watch politics in Texas. And because Texas, beside the state of Florida, which we'll talk about in just a moment with our guests, but Texas is often the leader of liberty. And in Texas, we have a gubernatorial primary coming up. We have a primary here in Texas. The primary date in, in Texas is March 1st, so it's coming right up. Early voting starts very soon. And so in Texas, I was asked to be the moderator at a panel that will be held at the uh, Glenn Beck's Mercury Studio that really, really, many of you, if you're in Texas, you've been there, very cool studio. So Mercury Studio is going to be hosting this event. I am moderating. 
and we'll have one of the primary candidates running for governor in Texas, Lieutenant Colonel Alan West, and the other gentleman who will be there is someone who's been on my show many times, Lieutenant Colonel Matthew Lohmeyer. If you leave that up there while I'm talking about it, Mr. Becker, that would be great. So Lohmeyer is the one uh, who was formerly, um, he was the, a commander in the U.S. Space Force, and he was terminated, lost his position, because he wrote a book explaining how Marxism has taken over America's military. And apparently, you're not allowed to speak that kind of truth about the American, American military. He was relieved of his command. He's now an outspoken advocate for um, speaking up for America's military and trying to defend the military against the assault of Marxism. And if you've heard him on my show and other guests in the military realize it is not an exaggeration or hyperbole in the slightest to call what's happening to America's military the invasion of Marxism. So on your that so for our radio listeners, this is February 2nd. February 2nd at 7 p.m., which is next week, and it's put on uh, by this group, which I just love this name, Country Girls for Freedom. Okay, you gotta love Texas. Country Girls for Freedom is a group putting this on. It is at Glenn Beck's Mercury Studio. It is Wednesday, February 2nd at 7 p.m. It is, there is no charge, but they do require an RSVP. And this is my one little hang up on this. I know you can get to this invitation on Alan West's website. Um, and so you can find it there. And I think if you go to Eventbrite, you can find it there. By tomorrow, I'm gonna be able to tell you how any one of you can get this invitation because you do need to be able to RSVP at no charge. And that is the event coming up. I am moderating and uh, it'll be fun. So that, my very fine friends, is today's first five. So we're interviewing someone today on the show. I, I'm on this mission. I really want to encourage conservative patriots who are standing up and assigned to run for office at this time in America. This could not be a more important time in America to have conservatives say, you know what? I don't like the direction of the country. I don't like what's happening in Washington. I don't like what's happening in my state capital. I'm going to stand up. America needs hundreds and maybe thousands of these people to do this. We're at a very, very consequential time in American history, as you hear in the show very often. Just uh, we're going to over the cliff to socialism and Marxism and the loss of the founding ideas of America, or we're going to uh, regain America and reclaim America and bring America back to its unique and extraordinary greatness. If you listen to my show very often, you know that's entirely the purpose of doing my show. I talk about preserving the extraordinary and unique greatness of America. So we have a candidate joining us today. Uh, this is a gentleman who's running for U.S. Congress, uh, the great state of Florida. I'll call them the second most conservative state. Actually, Oklahoma tries to claim they're the most conservative state. But anyway, the real bulwark conservative states, now one is certainly Florida. We have uh, candidate Anthony Sabatini joining us. He's running for Congress uh, in Congressional District 7. He's currently or has been recently a member of the Florida House of Representatives. And one reason I liked uh, him was because I took a look at his website and realized he's been endorsed by people uh, that I like, conservatives who are the kind of the real standing up for America kind of conservatives. So I want to welcome to our show, Mr. Anthony Sabatini. Hello, sir. Hey, thanks for having me on the show. It's an honor. So glad you're here. This is fun. I will tell you, I do love Florida. We went, you know, my husband and I, we're in Texas, but we went to Florida three times in 2021, which well, there were all political conferences. And, you know, we really have had our live, well, we've been to Disney World with the kids, but I mean, we had not really been there very much. And, and it is kind of the place that people are gravitating to, a lot of conservatives are. So let's just start out with, I know you've been a, um, a Florida state rep. Why did you decide to run for Congress? 
Well, I just think at this point, we really need a lot better Republicans. I mean, listen, I hate the left. I hate what the Democrats are doing. But we have some really terrible Republicans uh, elected who are just really uh, a waste of this sort of fool people in thinking they're fighting for conservative reforms and that they're going on offense and they're really America first and believe in liberty. And it's just not the case. I'd say maybe 10 percent of our elected officials in the Republican Party are actually good. Obviously, we learned a lot more about that during COVID. Almost all of them caved and sold out and put us in a really bad position, even when they had power in supposedly red states like Florida and Texas. So uh, I think we need people with proven track records who understand the nature of the left and actually want to beat the left and actually go uh, and make this country truly great again. And so I have the record to do that. I'm the most conservative elected official in the state of Florida. It's not really a much of a, a fair comparison uh, on any issue. Just, you know, uh, I've always been ranked that way. My four years in the state house here, you know, I think that it's what we need more of that in Congress. We don't need folks at the state level doing that. We're doing a pretty decent job here. And I think uh, it's time to bring that to Congress and really change pretty much everything we're doing and defunding a lot of the major parts of the federal government, which just need to be shut down. Okay, I love that defunding part. I'll get to that in just one moment. But I want to go back and say, so you served in the text in the in the Florida uh, as a state rep in Florida. And so, what were some of the highlights? You said you you say you were perceived as the most conservative. I guess you mean in the House and Senate of Florida. So, what are some of the top things you did that you that would say uh, you know show that conservatism? Well, first, I'd say I'm still in the Florida House. Actually, uh, I've been doing four. I'm on my fourth year here, so I've been here for four years and still fighting. I mean, I'm one of the people that helped pass the ban on the private sector vaccine mandates in the state of Florida, fought the lockdowns from day one. I personally sued every city and county that had mask mandates at the beginning of the campaign. Uh, I'm sorry, at the beginning of last year uh, when COVID started. So there's just a whole bunch of different things I've been involved with. A lot of fights against uh, corrupt and tyrannical local governments here in the state. Um, I've filed constitutional carry here in the state of Florida. I have filed mandatory E-Verify to stop illegal immigrants from coming to the state of Florida. I filed a bill to ban the transgender surgeries on children in the state of Florida. So a lot of important conservative legislation, which should just fly right through the legislature, but we actually have an enormous amount of uh, very milquetoast, moderate Republicans in the legislature who kill a lot of these bills. You know, that's why we don't have constitutional carry. It's why we don't have a heartbeat bill. It's why we've done literally nothing to combat uh, illegal immigration. We have one million illegal immigrants in the state of Florida right now. And, uh, you know, those are some of the fights I've been involved with. There's a lot more than just those. I've been here four years, like I mentioned. So. Okay, love that. By, by the way, I meant to mention introducing you. You're a lawyer by background. So when you say you filed, you didn't. I mean, I mean you are a lawyer by background, right? Yeah, I'm a current lawyer. When I say file, I mean, yeah, obviously the plaintiff is the one who files, but I yeah. sought out 14 plaintiffs statewide in the state of Florida from the top to the bottom of our state and sued every local government that had a curfew or a mask mandate. And they were allowed to have those things. Uh, there was a kind of perception about Florida that none of that stuff existed. It did. It was really bad. And we fought it from day one, fought school closures, fought everything. I, I love that. You know, we're in the state of Texas, and it sounds a little bit like, I'll tell you, I hear people, I, I you know, get, talk around the country and attend conferences, and I get people saying, well, gosh, you're in Texas. Everything's great there. I'm like, nah, not really. I mean, 
it's better than, than the blue states and almost every blue state. And it's better than even some, you know, GOP led states. But in Texas, there are a lot of things where we're kind of surprised. You mentioned the transgender issue. We could not get that resolved. In the Texas legislature with a Republican governor, Republican majority, House and Senate could not get them to touch the transgender, my words, mutilation of minors uh, by parents and doctors, authorized by parents and doctors, could not get that through the legislature, which I think it surprises people. You People think of Texas, especially they also think it's kind of the Bible Belt, but could not move that. So you were right about the people who um, have an R by the name and aren't necessarily so courageous. So if you, uh, so I know you're, by, quickly for our listeners, I looked it up online, your, your deadlines. You guys have, your primary um, is not until August, so you've got a long way to go, right? Absolutely. We have uh, the third last primary in the country. I know in Texas, you guys are very early. I think it's what, first week of March? March we're 1st. The last yeah. week in August, so we're third to last, and uh, so we get a while to go. I'm not really too worried about my primary. We, uh, we've been lucky enough to get endorsed by pretty much every major MAGA figure in the country from Matt Gates and Marjorie Taylor Greene to Rand Paul, General Flynn, uh, and just a host of other individuals. Paul Gosar, one of my favorites, staunch uh, uh, you know, congressman fighting for an immigration moratorium. Uh, Madison Cawthorn, who the left is trying to kick out of his seat. So a bunch of people have come in to help, and uh, we're in a position to flip the seat, uh, especially with the help of redistricting here in North Orlando and uh, grow the both the Freedom Caucus and the U.S. Congress and also the, what I call the America First Caucus, which isn't really formalized, but really a, a newer group of people who understand the America First issues and understand what we need to do to fight to protect America, our culture, our sovereignty, and actually go on offense. And that's what I plan to do in Congress. Well, I'm going to guess, uh, Anthony Sabatini, you've never watched this show before, but you're, you're singing my tune, as my sister often says, you're singing my tune. These are exactly the kind of issues and the kind of candidates we need to find. And actually, you were talking about your primary. I think I count seven or eight people have filed in the Republican primary. And right now, the seat is held by a Democrat, uh, but she's stepping down. She's not going to run again. And at least the last time I checked, there's no Democrat who's filed, although they have until June or something. Yeah, they have until June 13th. So I assume you anticipate a Democrat opponent, right? Yeah, they're definitely going to have a competitive Democrat primary uh, going forward. Um, no Democrats have jumped in yet because Stephanie Murphy, the incumbent Democrat who served on the January 6th commission, uh, just announced last month that she's out. So they're sort of warming up on that side. Obviously, whoever wins it will be uh, the nominee to go against me. You know, I'm excited to see who that person is going to be. The most liberal member of the Florida uh, legislature, most leftist member of the legislature, is a Democrat in this area. So I'm hoping it would be her because it would be an interesting ideological battle. We'll see what happens. So this Stephanie Murphy, uh, who's currently in the seat, see, at Congressional District 7, CD7, she's on the January 6th commission committee? Correct. Yeah, she's wow. a member of the January 6th committee and has been extremely vocal about uh, uh, her wish and plan to surveil pretty much every Trump supporter in the country and to harass and destroy their lives if they've ever attended a Trump rally at some time in their life. I mean, that's really the whole <laughs> point of the January 6th commission is to frame and, you know, the process is the punishment. The idea of roving federal agents, whether it be the Capitol Police or the FBI, or in this case now, you know, whoever wants to work with the commission to further surveil more people. Um, the goal is to basically prosecute uh, and persecute people based on their political views. And this is just how they're going to gain their foothold. They're using the violence associated with the riot of January 6th to basically start a new process of 
commencing war on everyday Americans. And uh, Stephanie Murphy is very proud of that. And uh, she actually came out of the Department of Defense. She worked there for years before she ran for Congress. That's sort of a new trend. You see these swamp creatures who want to become policymakers, but you know, their background is not in private business. It's actually working in the swamp to begin with. So this was, I think, what something she was really looking forward to. But the reason I think she's not running again is because redistricting has made it very, very difficult uh, for her to keep that seat. And so that's why she's trying to find another avenue. Okay, so CD7, where you're running now, it is at R plus something. It's a, I take it you're, you're implying it's a Republican majority district probably right now? Right now? Well, no, actually, it's a seat that tended to become more Democrat, but uh, with redistricting will be will be written as a plus six Republican seat. So pretty safe Republican seat going into a red year. You know, obviously, I think uh, I'll win it probably by nine or ten. So it's not not something that an incumbent Democrat really wants to uh, painfully uh, experience. You know, I think they'd rather just get out and try to find another avenue to be influential in politics than, you know, running the 2022 banner year for Republicans, probably the biggest Republican year since, uh, you know, 1994, 2010. Yeah, it certainly looks that way. It looks that way. So um, on this, so assuming you win your primary, which is, is um, you're sounding like it's very strong likelihood. It's a, I mean, I love it's a, it's a solid R district. When you get to Washington, number one, uh, are you going to be part of the group that's saying that there should be an investigation of how Dr. Fauci and the establishment in Washington handled the COVID, how we responded to the COVID pandemic and how it was handled? Think it Absolutely. Be not only do we need an investigation, I'd go a step further and say, really, the investigation doesn't need to be very long at all. Um, we already know he committed perjury. I don't think that really that's something that is going to take much of an investigation. We do need an investigation into the origins of COVID, uh, what they knew when they knew it, who profited from what, why they put forward advice that did nothing to either slow or stop the spread of COVID, why they lied about the efficacy of masks, this sort of thing. But right off the get-go, we already know, and I'm endorsed by Rand Paul and follow him very closely, that uh, he's already perjured himself, and so he needs to be sent. He Fauci, Fauci has perjured. Yeah, himself. Fauci has. So you know, of course, um, due to some of the uh, um, questions and, and and points made by Senator Rand Paul, Fauci himself perjured himself, and so at this point, we just need to make sure the DOJ is following through, and I think he needs to go to prison. Okay, I love hearing this. And actually, I will tell you, among the reasons I got excited because I get, as you might imagine, doing a show like this, I get. Uh, people reaching out across the country, all sorts of Republicans running. I try to check out the candidates. I love, when you see when you see Rand Paul endorsing, that is a substantive, serious, unmistakably consequential endorsement. That is someone who's been tenacious, and he really has a very, uh, he has that almost bedside doctor demeanor, you know, he's, uh, and he's fantastic, and he has been unrelenting in asking Dr. Fauci questions. And as you say, Dr. Fauci, it appears to America, perjured himself. I mean, he said, nothing to do. I don't know anything about that research uh, over in Wuhan. Who knew about that? And it turned out that, that apparently his uh, steering of funding what was headed toward Wuhan, the gain of function and stuff. So uh, investigation, Dr. Fauci, investigation of what happened, uh, how the Wuhan um, uh, virus got here and, and what was the consequence of it. You know, I wish there could be, uh, you know, you talked earlier about the idea of wanting to bring a force of Americanism to Congress. Part of what happened under COVID was that 
too many state medical boards, state licensing boards, and just hospitals around the country just kind of step back from what was it, what you would assume be their normal, reasonable assessment of we have a new problem, we have to deal with it, what's happening with, you know, how's ivermectin working, how's hydroxychloroquine working, how's the inhaled budesonide working. They all just kind of saluted to and, and, and just got silenced by Dr. Fauci and, and Deborah Burks, a few other people up there. But I, I, it's like what's needed out of Washington, I want your reaction to this, what's needed out of Washington is a new message of respect for individual doctors and their relationship with their patients in state medical boards. NIH and all those entities were never supposed to be superior medical advisors to this, the country's doctors. What are your thoughts? Couldn't agree with you anymore. I mean, the bigger the bigger problem here, the better way to categorize this is just the insane growth of the administrative state, administrative law, unaccountable third parties who have now become the policymakers and uh, really the um, the folks who are weighing and balancing all the determ all the, all the different things you should be weighing and balancing in society to make a political decision. It's been you know the role of the legislator all throughout COVID and uh, governor or president has been really abdicated. They put in these third parties in charge. And the only way you're gonna fix that is just by um, really reasserting the role of Congress. Congress is really known to be trying to do two things or, or supposed to be really doing two things. One is oversight, the other one is appropriating. Well, we're doing a horrible job at both. We need, you know, I'm only gonna be one congressman, but my focus is gonna be 100% oversight of all the institutions that have power and then defunding those who are causing us harm or not doing what they should be doing. So I'm for shutting down uh, and severely cutting um, a lot of the things that NIH and CDC and these different so-called public health entities are engaged in, providing enormous oversight of what they do, which the Republic, you know, the Republicans in the Senate and swear throughout COVID literally did nothing. They wasted that opportunity. But in the alongside that defunding those institutions that are doing a bad job and causing us harm. I mean, at this point, it's just out of control. Any, anyone who's still pushing, you know, mask mandates and vaccine mandates and these other intrusions into, into liberty is, uh, it just needs to be pushed aside at this point. It's just gone out of control. It's been two years. Love hearing that, could not agree more. And as a lawyer, you're probably familiar with the idea. I remember talking about this in law school, which is a few decades ago, uh, about the idea that, um, you know, the federal government had expanded its power, its legislative power, using the Commerce Clause. So the Commerce Clause basically, you know, was a, a justification for Congress legislating in arenas where they really had no constitutional authority. But over decades, Congress would you know, work its way, tiptoe its way, or, or sometimes, you know, just stomp its way into new areas of regulation. Uh, and it just got justified by the courts, ruled as constitutional because of the Commerce Clause. So, you know, my big dream for America in terms of cutting back the power of the federal government is to begin to have closer scrutiny within Congress about whether or not some arenas that even need to be legislating at all and whether whether many more issues should be left to the state. So this um, big bureaucracy in Washington is enabled in part because of the expansion of the interpretation of the Commerce Clause and then ultimately the you know, just the uh, capitulation of the courts and others to say, well, you know, Congress said so. So that now I'm off of my um, soapbox on that point. Um, I'll go back to what you might do in Washington, because I'll tell you another arena that I feel concerned about. And that is what happened with the Department of Justice and the FBI in its investigation, or you could say concoction of the uh, 
the Trump-Russia collusion hoax, all of that that happened in Washington, and the apparent, um, seems though, the apparent pushing of the collusion story long after the informed Americans realized there was no Trump-Russia collusion. Is that something Congress can work away at in terms of, and, and you know, what would you like to see in terms of reforms of the Department of Justice or the FBI? Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. Once again, you know, double tapping that theme of oversight. Congress should have had a special select committee by now that looked at the origins of the dossier and, and all of the um, decisions and interagency uh, interactions regarding the beginning of the Russia collusion hoax and uh, hold accountable the people who do. I, I don't know why it got sent off to the DOJ and a special prosecutor. It's the role of government to, to examine these sort of things in the public. So. Uh, absolutely, I think that's a great idea. We need to do it. And I want to add one thing about the judges. We, you made some great comments about the Commerce Clause and how our judges are. You know, we we talked about putting these conservative judges on the bench, and they're supposed to be the safeguards of liberty and originalists and this and that. It do nothing to roll back the interpretation of things like the misinterpretation of the Commerce Clause. I mean, every judge that have come through that's come through FedSoc, you know, Federalist Society, was supposed to be these conservative reformers. And they're useless. They're empty suits. Um, they're status quo judges that may not be pushing uh, radical new leftist interpretations of the Constitution whole cloth, but they're definitely not reforming and ridding uh, the court of misinterpretations from the past. For example, all the famous Commerce Clause cases from the 30s and 40s that opened up the federal government to intervene in every aspect of our, our life. So we got to really vet these judges at a much, much higher extent. I mean, Brett Kavanaugh just last week, uh, two weeks ago, sided with the Biden administration on the CMS mandate, uh, Center for Medicaid and Medicare Services, saying that nurses can be forced to be vaccinated or fired. And that, that by the way, that ruling takes place today. So you're going to see those firings immediately. These are Trump judges. These are f supposedly Federal Society vetted judges. So we need to be taking a look at Federal Society and these so-called conservative legal minds and, and trying to figure out why they've given us these decrepit old weak judges who don't have the courage that someone like a Clarence Thomas does to go back and actually fix bad decisions. And that's that's what we need to be doing. I think that's one of the most important things we've been doing. And the public is not vetting. Of course, they can only do so much, but they're not vetting these judicial candidates nearly well enough. I'll tell you one more quick thing, and then I, I probably have already taken more time than I committed to your happy scheduler. But one more thing on that point. You know, I've made the comment before, like last week we had the March for Life in Washington and other marches have happened in Washington. And I do think that to a certain degree, members of the Supreme Court, even though they're supposed to be, and, and the appellate courts, the, the federal district and sort of the circuit courts, they're supposed to be purists and, and people who apply the law and, and read the law and read the cases and, and look at legislative history, whatever they do, to get their decisions. And you, the presumption is they're not swayed by political input at all. And, and yet, I think, for example, the reason that Obamacare was upheld as constitutional when it clearly wasn't was because there was so much public pressure on judges on the Supreme Court and, and kind of policy-based fear, well, what'll happen if we take it away and this will happen, that'll happen. And I do think that's part of what, and I'm curious if you agree with this, do you think that there is some psychological impact by like the pro-life march in Washington? I love that message to the Supreme Court. Do you think that the marches and activism sway some judges or not? Yes, it does. No, 100%. But the problem is, where's it coming from? 
these judges are members of their class. They're elite leaders from part of a, a very dominantly liberal regime that runs our country. They're Ivy Leaguers. They, they live in the wealthiest neighborhoods. They do not associate with the average person. So a march from the pro-life movement, which is a lot of middle class and working class Americans, has far less sway than one angry professor they had who made a critique, you know, in a 50-page paper, one of their footnotes in a decision because they're sent to their own peers. So it's time to start putting actual average Americans on the Supreme Court and people who've gone to what are generally uh, considered tier two or tier three law schools, as opposed to just this snobby elite, because you have members of their class that are controlled by the opinions of those closest to them. That's why John Roberts sold out, stabbed America in the back on, what, 10 or 12 decisions by now. Um, really, his, his total settling out uh, in, even in the Bush years, but uh, has picked up at a huge rate more recently. And Kavanaugh is another example of that. So, yeah, they're definitely sensitive to political criticism, but far more sensitive to it when it comes to their elite members of their class and other people who are part of the regime. And uh, we need to take a swing at that and fix that and get some other kind of judges on there. And that's Clarence Thomas has done that. I mean, that's why he's taken clerks from what are considered non-Ivy League schools or yep. tier two, tier three schools, because he's trying to bring in a different viewpoint and not just the snobby elites who claim to be claim to be conservative, but at the end of the day, really aren't. They're not reformers. Anthony Sabatini, how much fun this interview has been, I can't even tell you. For our listeners, you can go to his website, Sabatini, S-A-B-A-T-I-N-I, for congress.com, Sabatini for congress.com. Great interview. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. It was an honor. Talk to you soon. Talk to you soon. Okay, folks, we have 30 seconds before we roll off for our radio listeners to a commercial uh, to their three minute bottom of the hour break. So I want to tell you if you're on radio, you could uh, don't, do come back in three minutes. My name is Debbie Georgiatis. The show is America Can We Talk. You can find it online at americacanwetalk.org. You can see past interviews, past uh, shows, links, blogs, or Why It Matters features. You can find everything you're not seeing on radio at americacanwetalk.org. And I'll come back with you right in the next three minutes. Okay, and for those of you who are listening online, um, I was gonna do this little, I have this bottom of the hour time that I've lost the radio listeners. Um, and so it's just the online listeners. I wanna share some things with you. I call this little segment Karen's. And I have to tell you, I love the name Karen. I have relatives named Karen. I love the name Karen, but Karen's gone crazy. I sent Mr. Becker two incredible videos, just incredible that this is not an, you know, someone acting in some Saturday Night Live foolishness. Um, the first one uh, I want to tell you, this is for, uh, it was clip uh, four. Just look at this clip of how these ladies are acting on an elevator, and I'll tell you why in a moment. Get out. Get out. Yo, stop. Get out. Get out. What are you guys doing? Get out. What are you guys doing? Get out. What's wrong with you? Don't touch me. Don't you have to. Do not touch me. Get out. Do not touch me. I'm not touching you. Oh, did you just hit me? Did you just hit me? You just hit me. You just hit me. You too? Okay, you know what's going on there? If you haven't seen that video, there is a black man, an American citizen, I assume, gets on an elevator, doesn't have a mask on because he's sane, doesn't have a mask on. These two Karens, these two women with masks on, get on the elevator and they start harassing him. They're yelling at him to get off the elevator. 
they have, they're telling him he has to get off because they have masks on, he doesn't, and they are filming him with their cameras, jabbing at him, threatening him. I mean, he finally did get off, but, and, and you may think I'm showing you that video because I want to make fun of them. And I actually, I, I kind of do because it's lunatic level behavior, but you have to understand who's responsible for that. Who made those ladies so insanely crazy, so insanely crazy that they would attack a perfect stranger, film him, get their little camera out and their phone filming him because he's, uh, and then yelling BLM at him as though they're trying to say, I'm not doing this because you're black. I'm doing this because I'm hysterically frightened by, uh, by the fact that you don't have a mask on. But I really want you to think about, that's a little microcosm. It's a microcosm of what the left has done to America, frightening the daylights out of, especially those people who are hypochondriacs to start with, who are frightened over their own shadow, who are frightened about every single virus and possible illness that might come along, the kind who ran their kids to the emergency room every time they got a sliver in their finger or something. These people, their attitude, their level of hysterical panic fear is caused entirely by the Anthony Fauci's of the world, the media of the world that made COVID into a far bigger crisis than it needed to be. We're about to have our radio listeners come back and I have one more video to tell you about that before we go to the last segment. So welcome back to our radio listeners. So while you were gone, radio listeners, I played one little video. Uh, and again, to see the things you're missing on my show, you can watch my show at, and all past shows at our website, americacanwetalk.org. The one video I showed just now was two women in an elevator who entered an elevator where there's a, a, a black man already in there who, who didn't have a mask on. These two older white liberal loonies women got on, had masks on, and they're physically attacking this guy. They have their phone cameras and they're yelling at him to get off the elevator. I mean, he's there first. They're yelling at him to get off the elevator and, and call, I mean, just lunatic level. And I'm telling you that I'm saying this is going to segue well into the last segment of the show today, which will have to do with the fabulous panel that uh, America had the opportunity to watch if you wanted to, um, Senator Ron Johnson's uh, panel, um, which was called Second Opinion Panel. He brought doctors to Washington to actually testify about truth. But part of what has happened in our country is the Dr. Fauci's, the media that plays along with a COVID hysteria, has created people like you just saw, if you're if you listening to that part of the show, just saw the woman in the elevator. There's a second one. I'm going to apologize ahead of time for the crass language. And I even cut out some of her crass language. But the second one, this is clip five, before you play it, Mr. Becker. So in Washington, on this past Sunday, there was a fabulous uh, program put on by informed, sane, practicing doctors trying to explain to America what's happening with COVID, trying to lay out facts and data, and those people put out basically the idea that in America, we have overreacted to COVID. It shouldn't have been political. We, we actually played a portion of Dr. I forget which doctor we played. I think Malone. We played a portion of one doctor's comments yesterday. What you're about to see is a woman who showed up at the, this, it, was an, it wasn't, to be clear, it wasn't an anti-mask rally, and it wasn't even an anti-vaccine rally. It was an anti-vaccine mandate. People saying, in America, we're supposed to have freedom. We should not be losing our freedom because we don't want to get a, a, a vaccine. So now, this is clip five, Mr. Becker. The police to shut down the 
Okay. Uh, <laughs> you understand? She's angry. She showed, first of all, do you see what's on the van that she's driving? It's got like little kid handprints. I mean, heaven help us if she works for a preschool or a kindergarten or something. She looks like she's driving something that you would drive if you were a, a preschool teacher. But anyway, screaming, telling these people who are in Washington to have a rational discussion to present to America what they think about these actual doctors who treat COVID patients, what they think about vaccine mandates, the ethics, the morality, the need for the vaccines, just a, just a rational, civil, First Amendment right to be there. And she's screaming at them. This is, I'm telling you, these left-wing Karens, these are people who've been, whose minds have been saturated with fear so saturated they can't reason they cannot think they can't think and so they get hysterical so she pulls up outside the rally in washington to scream f-bombs at people showing her intellect clearly screaming f-bombs at people get out of our city as though the whack job left is supposed to own washington yelling telling them they're white supremacists because they're against vaccine mandates. Actually, last time I checked, the people who are against mandates are, are usually the good guys. It is the supremacists, the tyrants that like mandates. Anyway, this I gave you these two examples to tell you that we are in a, should be in a big state of concern in America about how far the left has advanced in convincing the fearful, those who believe themselves be vulnerable, the people who look to government to tell them which day they're allowed to go to the grocery store because after all, COVID's out there, so I have to wait to be told what day I can do anything. Those people are hysterical, hysterical, because other people in the country still want their freedom. Because other people in the country actually say, I, I, we should get to decide. So I, I, I'm, I understand I'm sounding harsh about that woman and the two women in the elevator. And I, I am harsh about them at some level because they think their mindset is they've decided what they want to believe and nobody else is allowed to function outside of what they believe. They've decided what everyone must think because they're listening to Fauci and the mainstream media that echoes him and they can not process, can not think, can not read, cannot function. By contrast to those lunatics, the last thing I want to talk about today and share with you uh, is this thing that I called it Senator Johnson's second opinion panel. And I know probably a lot of you saw this, uh, but you know, in, um, in Washington, we've had to listen to, you know, just, just hysteria out of the left-wing world, out of Dr. Fauci, out of all these other people, uh, it really just perpetually working to frighten Americans uh, to be just afraid to, to get, walk out the door in the morning. So yesterday, Senator Ron Johnson hosted a second opinion panel. And I was going to tell you, by the way, I got an invitation to go up to this, which is really, really nice. Couldn't do it. But it was a second opinion panel in which he laid out, he actually laid out um, with experts testifying the, and, you know, he called it a second opinion panel, which was a great name. And I want to mention why that's such a great name. And I want to urge you to think about this before I play a little clip from him and try to share some things that he had to say. In America, and, and really around the world, when people are not feeling well and they go to the doctor, many people, especially if you get a frightening diagnosis 
or you get a diagnosis and prognosis that says, you know, unless you do this treatment, uh, you know, you may not live unless, or you only live a certain amount of time or, you know, you have three treatments. I recommend this. Other people do that. People get second opinions. It is as common as, you know, apple pie at Thanksgiving time. You get a second opinion. You go in and you might go to a different doctor, a different city, and you may get three or four opinions. This is, this is called normal America. This is what happened in America up until COVID came along. And of all the bizarreness in this country, when COVID came along in January of 2020, when we became aware of it in January of 2020, we literally had the entire, like a, like a hypnosis, a mesmerism took over the medical institutions in this country. Once Dr. Fauci said, oh my gosh, yes, yes, that's a terrible thing. It's, it's come from China and we have Wuhan virus. And I'm very concerned. It's like, not just that he announced what he thought and announced that the only possible way we can treat this is everyone freeze in place until we have vaccines. Everyone stay home until we have vaccines. But he managed somehow through, and it is, I don't mean somehow, like you can't figure it out. It's through the media, that the left-wing media in this country that marches lockstep with, with the left wing of the country. And you had Fauci say, you know, no, no possible medications work, no treatments work. You know, don't use ivermectin, don't use hydroxychloroquine, don't use inhaled budesonide. Stay home, go to bed, and when you're practically ready to die, come to the hospital, we'll stick you in a ventilator, and you'll almost surely die. And then on top of that, you have Dr. Fauci pushing remdesivir. And if you missed my show in which we interviewed Dr. Brian Artis, go back to our website, americachemitalk.org, and you can hear the interview of Dr. Artis in which he talks about the absurdity that of all the medications that Dr. Fauci could have designated as what should be used in hospitals for hospitalized COVID patients, remdesivir, or as many doctors call it, run death is near. Um, that was the most absurd treatment and dangerous treatment possible. But on to Ron Johnson, Senator Ron Johnson. He is emerging as a hero in this whole thing. I'm gonna ask uh, Mr. Becker to start with playing. Um, I sent you a clip of um, Senator Johnson. Um, uh, let's see which one it was. Uh, maybe you already have it. But anyway, I want to make sure we get uh, Senator Johnson. This is just his opening, his clip three, his opening statement at the panel. Again, good morning. The U.S. recorded its first laboratory-confirmed case of COVID on January 20th, 2020, two years and four days ago. We have endured two years of the pandemic and COVID-related deaths have surpassed 5.6 million globally and 889,000 in the U.S. The U.S. ranks 22nd in deaths per million at 2,575. Sweden, if you all recall Sweden, uh, early in the pandemic was excoriated by the world press. Sweden ranks 63rd with 1,514 deaths per million. Again, the U.S. were 22nd at 2,575. Sweden is 63rd at 1,514. The human toll resulting from economic sh shutdowns is incalculable. The erosion of freedom and growing divisions within society, exacerbated by vaccine mandates, should concern us all. The latest variant, Omicron, is sweeping the planet as a weary public prays for it to be the last. 
The purpose of today's forum is to discuss the global pandemic response, the current state of knowledge regarding early and hospital treatment, vaccine efficacy and safety, what we did right, what went wrong, what should be done now, and what needs to be addressed long-term. There's still much to learn about the coronavirus, COVID the disease, and COVID vaccines. Early in the pandemic, our knowledge was minimal. But even then, because of what we learned from Italy and the Princess cruise ship, it was becoming obvious COVID was a disease that targeted the old and those with certain comorbidities. Instead of using that information, public health officials pursued a one-size-fits-all response that relied heavily on creating a state of fear to ensure compliance. They also kept moving the goalposts. For example, we went from a two-week shutdown to flatten the curve to zero COVID. For masks weren't necessary to a single mask wasn't adequate. From a vaccine that would prevent infection to a vaccine that reduced severity of the disease. And as goalposts were moving, different viewpoints were being crushed. At the very moment when outside-the-box thinking was required, the internet could have been used by practicing physicians to share their experiences as they developed effective therapies. The internet was used instead to censor discussion and vilify anyone with a different opinion. Okay, folks, I put a link to that entire hearing it was a five-hour hearing, five hours, in which experts, yes, that was just the opening, the, actually a portion of the opening statement of Senator Ron Johnson, who hosted this second opinion panel, which actually should have been what all Americans felt free to do and not beleaguered and badgered by the government and their own doctors to just do what the government says. So he hosted this panel. He had Dr. Peter McCullough been on the show many times, fabulous expert uh, testify there, a cardiologist, former, I mean, just brilliant, brilliant doctor actually treating COVID patients. Uh, Dr. Jay Bhattacharya, professor of medicine at Stanford University, uh, been outspoken from the very beginning about all of this, how our reaction was wrong. Had Dr. Harvey Reich, professor of epidemiology in the department of and blah, 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 Yale Public Health. Dr. Paul Merritt, critical care doctor at Centera Norfolk General Hospital. Dr. Malone, we mentioned him before, American virologist and the inventor of the mRNA technology. He had fabulous experts who actually testified about their actual work with COVID patients. And I just want you to stop and think about this. Why, why was it even necessary for a US Senator who has many issues he should be thinking about, looking about, and he has to host a panel to let experts talk to America openly because their voices are otherwise shut down by our own government, by Dr. Fauci, and by the media in this country that simply has served as an echo chamber to the tyranny that has been inflicted on America since COVID started. It's absurd that that was even necessary. Absurd. And I want you to think about how we got here. And even more important, how do we get out of this? How do we get ourselves back to where in normal America, normal civilization, people and countries, not just America, seek second or third opinions and make their own healthcare decisions. 
and make their own healthcare decisions. That they do it based with their own doctors, based on what their doctors tell them is, uh, is, is their best care, and then they can, best choice, and they can seek another opinion, another opinion, may, and be in charge of their own healthcare. What has been stolen from America in this grotesque overreaction to COVID by Dr. Fauci and others in his regime is this concept that you actually have a right, a right in America to choose your own health care, to get a vaccine or not get a vaccine, and to still live in liberty, to still live in liberty. And I want to tell you, even if you want to dismiss, if you're listening on radio or you're online, even if you want to dismiss all of the concerns raised about COVID-19 and the Great Reset and what you know the international community appears to be doing with respect to COVID and what's in the vaccines, if you want to dismiss all of that, I still urge you to stop and think about the idea that not just these doctors who happen to testify at this Senate hearing, and again, I urge you, go to our website, americacanwetalk.org, and on the homepage, under shows, drop down list of links, I link to the entire five-hour thing, five-hour testimony, you know, hearing in Congress. I cannot urge you strongly enough to do that, to listen to what these actual doctors who treat COVID patients are saying, unlike Dr. Fauci, who's never treated a COVID patient in his life. I also want to urge you to think about and go to a website that is for America's frontline doctors. Again, please consider, why would any doctor, any doctor in America, and it has happened with no other disease in all of American history, no other disease, no other pandemic, no other you know, contagion, nothing has never happened before until now, that doctors have had to band together in order to get their voices heard, in order to even get reporting or some way to communicate to the public what it is they are discovering about COVID. And so the group formed America's Frontline Doctors. I actually was blessed to meet Dr. Simone Gold early on in this battle, and she spoke at my summit in two years ago, um, and she's been on the show numerous times. She, among others, she founded the America's Frontline Doctors. I want to urge you, okay, as I say, leave aside all the speculation about why and, and the great COVID reset. Why would doctors in America go to such great lengths to establish websites to get their voices out there? There's no other reason except genuine concern. I've had my friends who are uber, uber, you know, pro-mask mandate and pro-vaccine and pro-vaccine mandate say, but why would Dr. Fauci lie? I mean, why, why can't you just be happy with whatever he says and do what he says? Why would he lie? I want to ask you, why would this now, these, this number of doctors who signed on to this new physician's declaration, 1,700 doctors, why would they do that? All they do is get ridicule. They have no other reason except they believe what they're saying. Now, I sent a... Um, Another little PowerPoint to Mr. Becker in there, kept him busy today. Uh, this is from America's Frontline Doctors. I want to ask you to put this up because I feel like, my happy listeners, that I could spend a lot of time talking away about all the studies that have been done. Ivermectin, and I'll leave this up there while I'm going through this, please, Mr. Becker. Uh, for those on radio, America's Frontline Doctors is a website, and it's just like the words are spelled out, America's, with an S, FrontlineDoctors.org. America's 
frontlinedoctors.org and you can go on their website. And what I've done here for our online listeners, I have linked in all of what they say, what they understand and believe and say about these, uh, this little list of facts here about ivermectin. Ivermectin, the one that still you get the mocking media go, oh, uh, the horse dewormer, yeah, that sounds good. Uh, about ivermectin, about inhaled budesonide, about hydroxychloroquine, about masks. I urge you to go to that website and read what these doctors are saying. I'm not a doctor. I don't give out medical advice. I never have. I have doctors on my show and I listen to them, but I urge you to think about, go to their website. If you were a doctor, you spent your life going to you know, high school and then college and then medical school and then your residency and your internship. It takes years to become a doctor, years. And you usually have a massive debt for your medical education. And these doctors are willing literally to put it all on the line, put it all on the line by joining this group, America's Frontline Doctors, and the only reason is because they want to try to get what they believe to be the truth out to the American people. I'm leaving this up on the screen for a long time. Take a screenshot yourself. Go read yourself. I don't want to try to you know, run through everything they have to say in all these treatments, but what they're laying out there on all of those links, ivermectin, inhaled budesonide, hydroxychloroquine, and about masks is footnoted. It's detailed, it's explained, it's substantive. It's not a casual you know, slinging out a, a slogan. It's substantive research. And the one about masks, I wanna urge you to say to think about this. We've talked about this on the show before. You know, masks have become, like the, the Karens of the world get hysterical about the masks. The masks, the use of masks to prevent the spread of a virus is something that the America's Frontline Doctors team, Dr. Simone Gold and others on my show pointed out, masks, from beginning of medical school, they tell you masks cannot prevent the spread of viruses. A virus, a little single cell or whatever the virus is one one thousandth the size of one strand of hair. It's minute. And the analogy that Simone Gold made on my show was, you know, Try, hold, putting on a mask to strop, to prevent, you know, getting COVID is like building a chain link fence to prevent mosquitoes. Completely pointless. And yet masks have become a security blanket. They've become what you, you do. So I want to share those to urge you to read for yourself. I all just want to share the America's Frontline Doctors put up this list of 10 facts that unravel the COVID narrative. Again, read it on their website. COVID is not as dangerous as previously thought. The median infection fatality rate was 0.27. Everyone got worried when COVID came along, we're all gonna die. And they had false data out there to beat the bam. The median COVID-19 infection fatality rate is under 1%, 0.27. Early medical treatment works, unlike what Fauci told everyone for a year and a half and still is saying more or less. Early medical treatment works. Ivermectin, uh, this is by Dr. Pierre Corey, Ivermectin basically obliterates transmission of the virus with miraculous effectiveness. That was, that's at number two. Number three, the PCR positive test does not mean you're contagious. PCR tests, you know, very, very, very uh, dubious testing. Asymptomatic transmission is rare. 
if you don't if you're not sick you're not going to you're not going to transmit to others lockdowns are ineffective and costly masks the science is not settled to say the least they talk about the mask and all the studies that show masks don't prevent the spread kids are paying a high disproportionately high price um, COVID vaccine safety record, read the data yourself, um, and the COVID vaccine effectiveness, read the data yourself. We only have about a minute left before we get to our radio listeners um, going off, um, off. So, Mr. Becker, I just sent you a link. I want you to put it up, and I'm just going to read it to our listeners. If you're interested in the um, event that's in Dallas next week at the Mercury Studios, it's called Who Will Defend the Republic? And you can get to it at Eventbrite, eventbrite.com, and just look for Who Will Defend the Republic, and there are tickets there. You can get those tickets. For our listeners on radio, I want to thank you for tuning in to America Can We Talk. My name is Debbie Georgiatis. The show is called America Can We Talk. The website is americacanwetalk.org. Check out our website. Subscribe to our newsletter. Join for $50 a year. Be part of our team text in you heard the number earlier today it's on our website too and thank you so very much for tuning in to america can we talk every monday through thursday at 3 p.m central time where i always talk truth about america and so for online listeners we wrap up our show as i do at the close of every show by telling you why the stories we talked about today matter to you and so we start our show uh i think we actually had yeah karen's gone crazy um and so i want to just tell you again i i I do feel sorry for these people who become so frightened they can barely think. They, 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 they aren't thinking. They're just irrational. But Karen's gone crazy. White women assaulting a black man in an elevator because he wasn't wearing a mask. They shout Black Lives Matter to make clear they only hate him for not wearing a mask. Americans are paying an enormous price for the mass hysteria and mask hysteria their own government imposed on this country. Studies are consistent. Masks are ineffective against viruses. Fauci was opposed to masks, and he said so before arguing to mandate them. Masks are dehumanizing, preventing normal, healthy, desirable human warmth and interaction. The horrendous, sickening, and growing feeling is that the government's actions are deliberate. They are an exercise of tyrannical power and mental manipulation that was never based on a good faith foundation of concern for public health. And on Senator, Senator Johnson's second opinion panel, God bless that man, get a second opinion, has been time-honored medical advice for decades. Why was this never done by government or health officials about COVID until now? Senator Ron Johnson's panel was jam-packed with important information from credentialed experts in all relevant fields. Full video available all over alternative media and on our website, we put a link to it too, worth watching. Understand the doctors testifying at that panel treat COVID patients by the thousands. Fauci hasn't treated a patient in decades. Dr. Peter McCall's conclusions, time for American people, for the American people to take charge of their own lives government does not control you consider multiple experts don't defer to any one person as if he is infallible as if he is infallible science which fauci said he was take off the mask go back to school live normally end this pandemic 
My very fine friends, this is America Can We Talk, and I'm Debbie Georgiatis. I only have a, a few minutes left here, uh, less than a minute before the end of our show. I do want to urge you, if you want to support this show, in addition to going to our website, americacanwetalk.org, you can make a donation. You can join for $50 a year, or you can shop online at MyPillow.com. Go to MyPillow.com, put in promo code DebbieG, buy one of everything. That would be great for me. But you get a great discount, up to 66% off, and you get great products, and you get to support the show by buying things at MyPillow.com. And again, I'm Debbie Georgiatis, and this is America Can We Talk, where I talk truth about America, because America matters. And I'll talk to you next time. Like a crashing can you hear us now? America, can we talk truth about America?